Um, it's great to be with you this morning. You know, I've not been in this particular service for the last month, four weeks not here, which is the longest, I think, uh, since we started in 1995. So uh, you're looking all right, actually. And um, from my point of view, it's so great to know that with Rachel leading this congregation, um, actually, I am truly supernumerary to be in here. But I am here today, and um, glad, really good to be back. And just bits of family news I'd love to share. So... Um, there's some great news. Dan and Rachel are getting married next Saturday. I don't know if you know Dan Smith, who is our production lead here. Uh, just the, the nicest young guy you could possibly imagine. And when you've got people doing your tech, normally default, they're a bit grumpy. Is that true? But, but Dan is the opposite of that. He's just default lovely. So, and Rachel is equally lovely, teaching at uh, St. Mary Reckless School. We want to pray for them. They have a wonderful wedding day on Saturday. And um, it's great to see some people who have been at DTI uh, with our, uh, our, our young people, 18 uh, teenagers from Woodies. Who was, anyone here with a DTI? Put your hand up. What, what was it like? All right. So, and I, 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 I know that some young people found an encounter with Jesus with the Holy Spirit for the first time or more profoundly than ever. So that's fantastic news. So thanks guys for taking that team. And, um, but there's also, in, in every, every community, there's usually joy and sorrow going hand in hand, aren't there? Good news and bad news and things that, that are tricky. And just a few things for us to pray about. Um, just some health issues. There's three younger people in our church who've had big medical things at the moment. So um, Dan and Shekinah, Dan had a kidney transplant on Tuesday from his sister Jo. And um, that's a big deal, isn't it? So just be praying for Dan. I think that's gone really well. Um, but uh, wonderful that his sister could give her kidney. Massive thing. It's made a huge difference to, 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 to Dana Shekinah. And, and for, um, for David Lawrence, who's, uh, again, you may have seen David playing keys here. He's just a young guy in his 20s, married to Freya. They've been married for a year. They've picked up the keys to their new home this week. But Dave actually had a brain tumor operation on Thursday, 11-hour operation to remove a brain tumor. Big deal. He's in Southmead in intensive care at the moment. Doing well, but um, it's huge. And also, we, we're particularly praying for, for Becky, Jermaine, Becky and Tom, part of this congregation. Again, a young family. Becky diagnosed with esophageal cancer recently, and um, they've picked it up early. They're going to be giving her radiotherapy and chemotherapy, but it's actually a massive shadow to be living under um, for anyone with cancer, and that's a, it's, it's a really big deal for them. And so we'd really appreciate your prayers and for those medical situations. I'm going to leave this to prayer now. And probably as well, you've got some issues around um, in your people that you know and love. So do, in this moment, just let's hold some people before Jesus in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you, Father God, that you're a God of mercy and your mercies are new every morning. We pray for your mercy on the people we've named today and the people we're naming in our own hearts who have need of you. Particularly lift before you today, Lord Tom and Becky, as they await um, treatment later on this year in, uh, for, for, for Becky, Lord God. We pray that that would be incredibly effective, powerful. We pray for Dan for a really good recovery, uh, particularly for, uh, for David Lawrence right now, Lord God, in Southmead. Put your hand on him. Thank you for the incredible surgeons and medical team at Southmead Hospital. But we thank you, Lord, for the grace of God, which is greater even than human ingenuity and skill. Bless him. In Jesus' name. Heal him. Amen. 
But as I look around the congregation today, I notice school teachers looking refreshed, Andy Bainton full of the joys of spring, Liam and Beth Owen looking remarkably, you know, well-adjusted, unusually so. Um, and also looking around and seeing um, Matt Guthridge tomorrow setting off on a lone motorcycle trip to Turkey. Incredible. Going to bring you back some Turkish delight for the whole church. Thank you for that, Matt. That's very kind. So we'll be thinking of you on your journey and no doubt getting some Facebook photos if you follow Matt on Facebook. Um, but there's always a lot going on, isn't there? Um, thank you for being a, a, a community and a church that look out for one another. So we're in the book of Philippians. We're starting a new series for uh, August, one chapter from that four-chapter book every Sunday. And so we're in Philippians chapter one. It's not a bad thing to bring a Bible to church or have it on your phone and follow the verses because... You know, sometimes, often at Wood is we have a theme that we're following through and we'll see how the Bible speaks into the concerns of our heart. But sometimes we also let the Bible dictate the, the agenda. And uh, today we're going to let the book of Philippians dictate the agenda to us. So I'm going to start reading from, um, from chapter 1. Before I, I do that, Philippi, what do we know about Philippi? Well, we, we know that it was the, the first church in Europe. If you remember from the, the, the book of Acts where we see the story of Paul on his missionary adventures, he had a vision in the night, a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And, and so Philip and his team discerned that the Spirit was calling them to go to Philippi. And Philippi is a city founded by um, Philip, actually, <laughs> surprisingly enough, Philip II, father of uh, Alexander the Great. And uh, it was a Roman, Romanized, Greco-Roman city, Gentile city crossing the, the Straits of Bithynia, out of Turkey. Bye-bye, Matt. We're off into Europe now. And um, there they are. And uh, when, when Paul goes to Philippi, there's not a synagogue there, but there's some women worshipping by the river on, on, on the Sabbath. And, 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 and Lydia um, invites me to home. She's the first kind of convert, really, in um, Europe. And there's a church established there. And it's kind of getting some memorable stories from Philippi. You remember that's where... There's a woman, a, a young slave girl with a, a spirit which meant she could divine stuff and, and, and she'd be exploited by her owners to make money. And, and when she kept calling out about Paul, the servants of the Most High God, Paul eventually got so frustrated, he um, delivered her an evil spirit and it was a financial hit for their owners. So Paul and Silas ended up in prison, but then there was an earthquake and their chains fell off and the jailer and his family were converted. You know that story? That's Philippi. Amazing church, a church that was close to Paul's heart. And in Philippians, as we read the story, Paul is writing from prison. Well, where, where is he in prison? Um, some scholars, Tom Wright, thinks it was in Ephesus. Um, Paul was in prison more than once. It does mention in this chapter the imperial guard. So you might think, oh, it must have been in Rome. But actually, there were cohorts of that, uh, the Praetorian Guard all over the kind of uh, the, the main Romanized cities in, in the Roman world, and, and it was very much a Romanized city, Philippi, where there was um, Roman veterans would have settled in. So we're not quite sure where, where he's writing from, but in prison he certainly was. So I'm going to be reading from uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the first 11 verses. Then we'll, we'll see how much of the book we can get through before we stop. At 8 o'clock this morning I was preaching, and the fire alarm went off at 10 to 9. And it cut me from mid, mid flow, so I'd uh, be glad to be back on the old case. So here we are. Um, Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Paul's a great man of prayer, isn't he? And one of the wonderful things that we have is, is a record of the things that Paul prayed for people, because Paul liked to tell people, this is what I'm praying for you. And I, don't, I wonder whether you do that. You know, sometimes we, we just, people ask us, will you pray for me? Sometimes we, we say to people, oh, I've been praying for you, but we don't always tell people what exactly we've been praying for them. But Paul was very clear to do that. And when we see what Paul was praying for this church in Philippi, we get a sense of the things that are really important to Paul. So what, what do you think is, is really important to Paul? Do shout it out. Sam, there on the front row, said the love of God. You know, Paul, we, we, we kind of, sometimes we pigeonhole Paul as a bit of a hard-nosed, you know, a bit of a tough nut, don't we? A bit of a kind of the, the zealous missionary. And we think about someone like John who writes all this stuff about love and think, oh, John, the apostle of love. But I think, you know, Paul is an apostle of love, isn't he? Love is a priority for Paul. It's Paul that wrote the great passage of 1 Corinthians 13 that we say, we love to say at weddings, all about love. What is love? And when you find in Paul's prayers, love is often there, isn't it? In Ephesians, talk about that, you know, you being rooted and grounded in love may have the power to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. He's, he, he, for him, love is the priority. It's the most important thing. When everything else fails, love is there. And um, it's a priority here in his prayer, isn't it? He prays for them, doesn't he? This is my prayer, that your love may abound more, and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what's best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So he's asking for them to have a kind of love this isn't just a kind of superficial, ephemeral kind of nice feeling, but a, a shrewd, wise, discerning love that they can really grasp the whole heart of it, what, what the love of God all means for them and, and, and how it means it's going to help them to live in challenging times, which were challenging times for this early church. But his priority is that they're a loving people, loving God, loving one another, and loving the world. And... and for us, as we think, what would we pray for one another? Maybe we could be taking this prayer away and praying for one another. Because we live in challenging times. We, we, we live in times where we need to know truth and discernment, to be able to discern what's best and maybe pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We're, we're living, like Paul's living, with the return of Christ in mind. We're, we're looking forward to something that we don't yet have. 
But we're living all of those things with the power of love at the heart of what we're about. It's a great prayer. And, and for Paul, he's real, real sense of partnership. Again, sometimes when we think about Paul, we can think of him as a bit of a lone ranger. But really, he loved the fellowship of people. Paul's letters are always describing the people he was with, the people he cared about. He named so many of them in his letters. And he loved that sense of partnership with the church, particularly important partnership right now. At the end of the book, you'll find that he's grateful for the gifts they've given him. When you're in prison, in Paul's day, they didn't feed you. <laughs> you needed people to, to bring you gifts, give you food, help you survive in that environment. So uh, maybe they've been doing some of that, giving him resources while he's in prison. And um, that's, what it, that's where he is. he is in prison right now. I'll read the next few verses. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It must have been incredibly discouraging for Paul to be in prison because he's such an activist and such a traveler. When we read about Paul in the New Testament, when we read his letters and look at his life in Acts, he's a man who's on the move. He had this ambition to take the good news of Jesus Christ all over the Gentile world. He wanted to go to Spain, and I, who can blame him? It's lovely, isn't it? But he, he wanted to go where the gospel had not yet been preached. And here he is in prison. And yet he brings this perspective. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. Now, if you're in prison, if you're not mobile, if you can't move, how does it serve to advance the gospel? Well, one thing, which is perhaps truer than he realized, is from prison that so much of Paul's writing happened, so many of Paul's letters. And, and Paul was not to know that almost 2,000 years ago, what he was writing then about the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ would be read at Woodlands in Bristol today. And the power of God to, to do amazing things out of difficult circumstances transcended even his understanding. But what he did know was that while he was in prison, he was able to be an influence on the people that he was with. And wherever there are people, there is the opportunity to be an influence. I can remember... Um, when I was a lot younger than I am now, going to a conference at Ashburnham um, with a guy called Ed Silvoso, who's an Argentinian uh, church leader, and um, it's put on by Ixus Church in London. And uh, Ed Silvoso said to us, you know, there are, there are, I think he said there are 900 people praying for us right now in Argentina. And um, great. Um, they were all in prison, actually. Uh, Ed was talking about a prison where uh, actually, a pastor had been put in prison for doing actually something criminal, uh, but he had a, a, a real turning back to God in that place and actually led a revival in that prison. And those prisoners were having these incredible prayer meetings, and they were praying for us right now. And the fact that we're in prison, the fact that we're in difficult circumstances, does not stop God working in our lives or using us wherever we are. I remember, again, a few years ago, dropping um, a friend of mine off at a homeless hostel. He'd become homeless, and we'd, we'd found some accommodation. And he was really miserable about going to this hostel. But I, he was a Christian. I said to him, actually, you're the person that God is sending into that place to be his ambassador in that place. Wherever we go, whatever our circumstances, 
God can work for good. And that's very much Paul's understanding, isn't it? He writes in Romans, in all things, God works for good to those who, who love him. And it is in, in all things, not all things are sent by God, but all things can be used by God. God is able to have the last word of the most difficult circumstances. God can, can take an evil thing and bring something amazing out of it. God can take a, a circumstance of suffering and produce something which bears fruit for eternity. And, and God used Paul's imprisonment, not just as a vehicle for him to write letters that were going to stand way beyond his lifetime for thousands of years, but actually... To, so that the very guards in that prison would hear the gospel. Can you imagine what it would be like kind of keeping Paul under house arrest or maybe being chained up to him as that happens sometimes? And he gossiped the gospel. He talked about Jesus. So the whole of the imperial guard in that place knew about him and the reputation of Jesus Christ grew. It's at the heart of empire, at the heart of power, Jesus is being proclaimed. And that's Paul's big ambition, that Jesus is proclaimed. So I'm going to read on. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, and the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, Supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between these two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body, Conf convinced of this. I know I'll remain, I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. That phrase, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, is an extraordinary and memorable verse, isn't it? And it's something that hopefully all of us could aspire to, but in practice, what a challenge it is for us about our faith, but also who we're living for. And, and Paul is just a brilliant example of devotion. He's devoted to Jesus Christ. At the start of the year in January, we sometimes pray the Methodist Covenant Prayer. And it's the kind of prayer that probably derives from this kind of passage, where um, that old Wesleyan prayer says, you know, put me to doing, put me to being laid aside, put me to suffering even. It's, it's an extraordinary prayer of saying, God, I'm at your disposal. Do with me what you want. God, I'm at your disposal. Do with me what I want. It's the kind of life that's modeled on Paul, but Paul is modeling his life on Jesus, who said, I only do what I see the Father 
doing, who wants his life to be at the direction of God his Father, who is willing to embrace the suffering even of death on the cross in order that God's will could be done. And that kind of life is a life that can stand in the storms. It's a life that can face trouble and difficulty because there is ultimately a devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and a trust in him despite what circumstances say. And, and Paul's heart is, I trust God. I absolutely trust him. Therefore, I trust him with whatever circumstances I face. I trust that my experiences are not outside of his sovereignty. I trust that even if I die, actually that is for my good because I'm in love with him. Paul has an extraordinary desire to know God. Later on in Philippians, we'll look in some depth at that great prayer that he prays. And he says, I want to know him. I want to know the fellowship of sharing his suffering so I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And Paul says to us, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. For him, he was at one time a really ambitious Pharisee. Now, he has a spiritual ambition, which is just to be devoted to Jesus and to serve him. It's a beautiful thing. It's a lovely thing. It's an extraordinary example for us. And it means it deals with the fundamentals of life or death. And for Paul, actually, he's saying to us, it's really not about me, whether I live or die. It's about what's best for you. Because my life is God's disposal. If God thinks it's best for you that I stay alive, then I'm going to stay alive. I'll be with you. But maybe God will call me home and I'll be with him, which will be better for me. But he trusts God in his circumstances. And he's aware that, you know, actually being in prison... There's all sorts of stuff going on in the great outside world. Some people are making trouble for me. Now, I don't quite know what that trouble is. Could it be that people who were kind of Jewish opponents of, of Paul were kind of stirring up stuff about Jesus Christ to discredit him? Could it be that maybe some of his rivals, some of people who were jealous of his super apostles, were wanting to get influence in the churches he's founded while he's locked up and away? And, and, and for him, they're, they're actually not motivated so much by celebrating Jesus. Kind of, well, that's Paul's away, so... We can play. Paul, actually, his big concern is the name of Jesus is known wherever it is. And he's not, not fussed about that. So long as Jesus is celebrated and declared, if people's motivation is dodgy, God can work even through people of dodgy motivation. And I'm going to come into land just with this last part. And we'll have done the whole chapter. Pretty good. Well done. The last few verses. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one faith, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but you'll be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We don't often talk about the blessing of being called to suffer. But it is a theme in the New Testament, a sense that we're so identified with Christ that the Christ Jesus said, blessed are you where people persecute you. Following the example of Paul, it says anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. The people saw suffering as a sign that they were somehow on the right track. Because the kingdom of God was breaking into this world. And the kingdom of God was implacably opposed to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of evil. 
And therefore, if you're too comfy in this world, Paul, Paul seems to think, then probably you're not quite right. If there's a degree of opposition or suffering, then probably you're on the right track, if it's for the right reason. Not because you're obnoxious, but because you're celebrating um, who Jesus is, and it's those powers that oppose him. And it's this extraordinary phrase. I've got it written in my Bible. I must have written it some time ago. Delivered for, not from, suffering. You're being delivered for suffering, not from suffering. We're always asking to be delivered from suffering, but sometimes we're being delivered in order that we can be in a position where as influences of, of King Jesus, we're going to be facing conflict and challenge, but ultimate fruitfulness. And I, I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means for us in this fragile world. But what I do believe is that the world that we live in now is as challenging, at least, as it's ever been. And with so much around our world in a post-truth populist rise of um, chaos, <laughs> really, in, in some of the power brokers of the world, the, the big nations, in the, the challenge of... Uh, of what it means for us to truly, devotedly serve Jesus. We are going to face challenges ahead. And actually, we don't know what lies ahead of us. But if we can cultivate the spirit in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If we can sense that, that where we are, in some ways, marked out as followers of Jesus, and that's hard for us, but yet there's a privilege and an, an eternal reward in that. If we can believe that it, despite outward circumstances, despite appearance, our trust in God will lead to good fruit. Then we will have some resources to stand in all that lies ahead of us. It might be that today you're experiencing circumstances that make it difficult for you. It might be that today you're being challenged. Can I really trust God with my health, with my family, with my work situation, with my finances? Can I really trust that my decisions to stand for Jesus in this circumstance, which have brought me into some conflict or some difficulties, are really sensible? Or should I just kind of go with the flow and make life easy for myself? Paul would be saying to you, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. There's a day coming. And it's, we don't yet see it, but it's definitely coming. It really is going to come. And, and, and Jesus is going to, return and, and all, all will be well with you. But until that day, stand firm and, and the spirit that began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. That's going back to the beginning of the letter. So I'm going to finish there. We're going to go just into a worship song to, to land our service. But what I would say is today, just like Paul prayed for people, but also valued their prayers for him, prayer is our weapon in times of trouble, isn't it? Prayer is our weapon when we're going through the, the mill. Prayer is our weapon on that evil day that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. And so today, if you're in trouble, if you recognize that it might be hard for you to stand firm, if, if you're in, in need of in anything, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, there's a little team of us and we're going to be gathering down here. As we go into this last song, we'd love to pray for you. Just, just come and find us. It's, people will be standing up. It's not embarrassing. It's normal in our church to pray for people. If you have a need in your life, we don't want to, to send you out from here without prayer. So come and get some prayer as we come into land on the service.